leading a startup team, whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or getting a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture, from getting those first business cards and stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo. To learn how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all of these startup essentials and more, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. Callum Biosciences, a fortress biotech company, is a clinical stage biotechnology company developing treatments for rare and life-threatening diseases. Its lead therapeutic in development is a novel antibody to treat patients with amyloid light chain amyloidosis, a rare disorder of the bone marrow that causes misfolded proteins to accumulate in tissue and organs throughout the body and cause damage. We spoke to Michael Spector president and CEO of Callum, about the company's business model, its lead therapeutic, and how the competitive landscape for a rare disease therapy may shape development strategies. Michael, thanks for joining us. Uh, Thank you very much for having me. We're going to talk about Callum Biosciences, AL amyloidosis, and your experimental therapy to treat it. Before we do that, though, I'd like to talk about business models. Calum is described as a Fortress biotech company. Fortress created Calum at the start of 2017. What is Fortress and how does it work? So, um, Calum Biosciences is a subsidiary of Fortress, as you've mentioned. Fortress is a parent company who seeks to identify great science happening throughout the world, whether it's at universities. Uh, smaller biotech companies, uh, larger biotech companies, where that that science is not able to progress in its current form for whatever reason. Um, We have a business development team that tries to identify those opportunities, and we license those opportunities uh, either for the purpose of initiating a new company, uh, if it's a scientific area that a fortress company is not already in, uh, or... Uh, to fit into an existing uh, company that's already established. Now, what's the benefits of this type of approach? What, do you, are you able to do things more cost-effectively, faster? Sure. So I'll give you an example of how it worked, worked with Kalem Biosciences. So we licensed Cal 101 from the Columbia University in January of 2017. The benefit to us is that we become a fully functioning biotech company at day one, because Fortress has staff in most of the major uh, biotech disciplines. So we have a, a group that focuses on uh, formulation and, and manufacturing. Uh, we have a preclinical group. We have a, a clinical operations group. And we also have the back-end functions of finance and human resources. So as the CEO of a new company, um, while I have to hire people who are specific to the category, at day one, we can hit the ground running and, and start moving um, 
as a proper biotech company without having to to form uh, interview and find all the the proper people to uh, support the the company. Well, the the asset you licensed is for uh, a potential treatment for AL amyloidosis. What is AL amyloidosis? How rare is it? How does it progress? And what treatment options exist today? Sure. So AL amyloidosis is um, an amyloidosis that starts at the bone marrow. Um, so our bone marrow produces plasma cells, and from there we produce proteins. Uh, in the AL amyloidosis patient, you get a misfolding of those proteins. Uh, those misfolded proteins aggregate together and then deposit throughout the body. Uh, so in many cases, it's in the heart, uh, the kidney, also the liver. It can deposit in the skin uh, and throughout uh, the system. We're most worried about the heart and the kidney, and that's because in a patient with cardiac amyloidosis, um, you end up having patients progressing to um, severe cardiac heart failure, and uh, when they're diagnosed and properly diagnosed, um, a large portion of these patients have a high uh, mortality within the first year. Um, th there are it, It's estimated that there are about thirty to 40,000 uh, patients within the U.S. and Europe, uh, and uh, probably around five to 6,000 new patients a year in the U.S. and Europe. The difficulty with uh, calculating the number of patients that exist, and, and we believe that there's an underdiagnosis in this area, is that many patients are misdiagnosed early uh, and they say, see three or four different uh, doctors, oftentimes a cardiologist. You know, this is almost like a needle in a haystack for a cardiologist. They may see only one of these patients every three or four years, if ever, uh, given the rarity of the condition. And therefore, they're not actively thinking about amyloidosis and the, and the patient isn't diagnosed. At some point, in many cases, the patient um, gets a biopsy and it's determined that they have amyloid uh, in their organ and then they're sent typically to a myeloma specialist or an amyloidosis center. And the reason why uh, often the same treaters of um, multiple myeloma are the people who also treat uh, AL amyloidosis is that they're both uh, plasma uh, cell dysgrasias, and therefore uh, the myeloma specialist is, is very comfortable treating um, with the same um, uh, therapies that you would use for myeloma are also used for AL amyloidosis. So, so how is AL amyloidosis treated today? So um, the, the term that you'll often hear is plasma-directed therapies. Uh, most frequently, those are chemotherapies. Uh, what is thought, uh, the, the objective of treatment is to shut down uh, plasma cell um, development and therefore shutting down the protein cells that, mis the, the proteins that misfold, um, stopping future uh, amyloid from developing. What's different be, uh, between the treatments that it, and the promise of Cal 101, our lead uh, antibody, is that uh, we're seeking to demonstrate that Cal 101 works at the site of the amyloid. Uh, the current hypothesis on how Cal 101 works is that it binds to the existing amyloid within an organ, uh, and it stimulates um, our own bodies to, to have an immune response and break down the amyloid. So... Unlike the chemotherapies and plasma-directed therapies that work at the source of, of the condition, uh, they are less effective at breaking up the existing amyloid. Um, we're, we're seeking to develop a treatment that works at the source of the amyloid and working com in a complementary fashion with the plasma-directed therapies.
What was the, the process of taking the asset and deciding to create a subsidiary company around it while you were at Fortress? What was your role in that process? Did you identify the, the therapeutic? Did you work on preclinical development at all? Yeah, so um, when we identified the opportunity, it was um, already in a phase one trial at Columbia University. To take a step back, Cal 101, which you'll also hear referred to as 111F4, uh, that was the original name of the compound, emanated from the University of Tennessee. And the University of Tennessee actually really initiated this the whole development process of treatments to attack the amyloid. And it started about 20 years ago. Um, the original in inventor, uh, Alan Solomon, uh, of the concept of, of directly treating the amyloid deposits retired um, and uh, transferred the program to Columbia University. Um, and Dr. Suzanne uh, Lynch, who is the principal investigator on the phase one trial. Um, I had met Dr. Lynch probably in the first half of uh, 2016, uh, and I, I got to know her well and understand the work that she was doing uh, with Cal 101 at the time, 111F4. Um, there was some very, very preliminary phase 1A data that had already been presented at the um, ASH meeting of 2018, which is the biggest hematology meeting uh, in the United States. We were very excited about what we saw from the single dose portion of phase one. Um, and um, she was planning to present uh, the full uh, phase or preliminary phase 1A data. Sorry, I'm going to start over. Um, she, Dr. Lynch was planning to present um, the phase 1A results as well as preliminary phase 1B results at the ASH meeting in 2016. Uh, and so uh, we had signed an agreement with um, Columbia University, an option agreement giving us the rights prior to her presentation in 2016 because we saw the potential of this as a, as a future treatment and we wanted to hit the ground running in 2017 after the ASH meeting. We exercised our option in early 2017 uh, and have been working hand-in-hand -hand with Dr. Lynch since uh, to try and, and get this as a in, into further development. And our plans are to initiate uh, phase three clinical trials um, in the second half of 2018. And, and this is actually a, a, an antibody. It is. It's a monoclonal antibody uh, that binds. So um, you'll see often that the term is a conformational epitope. When um, uh, Cal 101 doesn't bind to the light chain, um, uh, which is the, the plasma uh, protein, doesn't bind to it when it's in its normal form. But when you, when you see the protein misfold, there's a new epitope that's formed, and Cal 101 binds to that um, new epitope. And when that happens, we believe what occurs is that that the body is, has a an immune response stimulated, and neutrophils and macrophages are called to the site of the amyloid uh, in the presence of that bound antibody. At this year's ASH meeting in, in Atlanta, you presented data on uh, phase one trial. What what did the data show? Sure. So um, the, the phase one data uh, was primarily a safety study first in that um, we escalated the dose um, to very low doses up to 500 milligrams per meter squared. Um, and in the phase 1A study, it was a single dose. And in the phase 1B portion, it was four weekly doses with the patients measured uh, at 12 weeks. 
one of the most exciting pieces of data that came out of the phase one study was that patients saw an organ response defined by a 30% reduction uh, in a biomarker called NT-proBNP. Uh, and, and we saw a 21-day to, uh, time to cardiac response. Given that many of these patients have a high mortality early, uh, the sooner that, that we can start to improve the functioning of the heart, um, the better. So um, we were very pleased to see a, a rapid action uh, um, of the antibody. We also, given the short duration of, of treatment, one, up to one month, we saw a cardiac best response rate of 67%, which means that 67% of the patients had hit that response rate of a 30% reduction in NT-proBNP. And when measuring all of the organs, uh, we saw overall a 63% uh, uh, of patients responding to treatment. Uh, we saw no dose-limiting li toxicity, so it gave us uh, a very good sense that we can progress this to further clinical trials, and, and certainly off of the back of the phase one uh, results, uh, we feel very confident that we can continue to move the program through uh, clinical trials. And is there a clear sense of what you'll be using as endpoints in, in the later studies? Right. So it's still under evaluation. Uh, previous antibodies in development uh, have looked at both the, the biomarker NT-proBNP um, and, and then uh, combined uh, endpoint of hospitalization and mortality. We're evaluating uh, whether we'll follow that path, but but most certainly uh, we will look at mortality as an endpoint because the most important thing uh, about uh, this treatment, Cal 101 treatment, is that we're able to extend uh, people's lives. And so there's a, a correlation between the biomarker and mortality. Um, and so we, we think showing a, an early difference in the biomarker is important, but ultimately we think it's going to be most important to demonstrate uh, an improvement in survival. You're not alone in seeking to develop an antibody to treat AL amyloidosis. Prothena has a, a late-stage antibody in development. Any sense how your therapeutic might compare? Are you seeking to do the same thing? Is it a different mechanism of action? So both are antibodies that bind uh, to the existing amyloid uh, deposits. At least that's what we understand. Um, the antibodies were developed uh, differently in that Cal 101, uh, the Calum antibody, was designed specifically to bind to the kappa light chain, specifically the light chain fibrils that are uh, the, the causative fibrils of the amyloid deposits. My understanding about the Prothena antibody is that it was being developed for another uh, amyloid type and had some binding against light chains. I, I can't speak in detail about the Prothena antibody because I don't know their data as well, but what I can tell you about Cal 101 that was very important in early um, preclinical trials was that the light chains are um, heterogeneic, which means that there are two major subtypes, kappa and lambda, and then there's isotypes underneath that. What's important is that uh, for these antibodies to work is that you have to have binding across a, a breadth of the different uh, subtypes that exist um, in patients. Uh, early on, there was a study where human amyloid was taken uh, with patient's consent, consent before they passed away, uh, and the investigators were able to uh, remove the amyloid and test it in animal models. And what we've been able to show is that against both uh, high-level subtypes, kappa and lambda, that we've seen, the Cal 101 is able to completely dissolve 
uh, human amyloid and animal models. Again, I don't, I don't know the breadth of, of the subtypes, but we think that's an important component for CAL-101. Uh, certainly, I think when you look at the time to cardiac response as well, we think uh, that, that a lot of the rationale behind the rapid response time in phase one has to do with a high binding affinity uh, across the heterogeneic light chains, therefore stimulating um, an outcome in a, in a breadth of uh, uh, patient population. Uh, I also think it's important to note the cardiac response rate of 67%. Uh, given um, the, the four weeks of dosing, we think is a, a unprecedented achievement in this class. Given that there's a, a, another drug in development that's also an antibody, and you're dealing with a rare disease with small patient populations, how does that complicate or, or shape your development strategy? So ultimately, the most important thing is um, demonstrating that you work in the population, and um, you know if if we as we believe that the binding across a, a multitude of of the subtypes of kappa and lambda and their isotypes, ultimately that's going to be very critical, and it's going to lead to outcomes that are important for patients, both in speed to res response and, and mortality levels. I think if there are real differences that are shown in clinical trials, ultimately that's going to be the most important factor of how people will decide which antibody to use. If, if one is working faster to a higher degree against a, and, and a broader uh, patient base, then I think that will become the lead opportunity. And we feel very good about our profile coming out of um, uh, phase one. Um, Ultimately, that's that's going to be the deciding factor. But we have learned certainly from Prothena's experience, and uh, we want to understand patient types that will likely respond. Uh, we're assessing uh, a similar population that Prothena has studied, but we're also looking at other populations um, that had not been included in the Prothena study as well. One of the patient types that that uh, can most benefit, and and we want to understand whether. Uh, an antibody can be effect, effective is the sickest population. So you have the NT proBM P level that I've mentioned, which is a biomarker that's correlated with survival. Uh, some patients have an elevated NT proBM P, and patients are really deemed to be very, very sick um, when they start to surpass 5,000 and 6,000 in terms of their um, uh, level of NT proBM P. At that point, um, there's a patient population where mortality is very high, and it's uncertain whether a treatment can have an effect. Um, and certainly, we want to study that population because those are the patients that that um, die the quickest and are in most in, in need of treatment. So we're exploring uh, populations um, beyond what Prothena has studied to see whether our antibody can have an impact. And is there a plan for the the company beyond 101? Is, is this company built to develop this one asset, or do you have a broader pipeline you expect to bring on? Sure, I can't speak in in detail because uh, there's active uh, discussions about additional uh, opportunities. We certainly uh, expect to be uh, in the hematology field, myeloma field, and amyloidosis field. Uh, also, potentially protein misfolding more broadly. You may be aware that there's other types of protein misfolding diseases. There's been a lot in the news about um, uh, TTR amyloidosis based on success of, of compounds and, and, and um, treatments in, in those areas. Um, and so we're, we're certainly exploring protein misfolding as well. But we expect 
to continue development and are, are actively looking at opportunities to fill out a portfolio in both AL amyloidosis, uh, multiple myeloma, and protein misfolding uh, conditions. Michael Spector, President and Chief Executive Officer of Kevin. Michael, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send an email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.